Welcome to my podcast, Exiles, America in Lockdown, the experience of taking a red pill just nine short months ago. Today, the episode's title is Crisis of Faith. I want to start today with a story. It's a story of a man that you and I are both familiar. However, you might not have ever looked at the story this way. This man had saw something in the world and in his culture that he wanted to change. And he was courageous enough to put not only his ideas and his lifestyle, but his money and his his belongings and wealth behind it. So let me see if you can get to the bottom of who this man is. This man uh, saw an automotive industry that was consumed by the same, consumed by doing things the same way with the same outcome. And he decided he was tired of seeing things done the same way with the same outcome. And so he put all the resources that he had available and at his disposable, and he sought out a dream to bring about what had never been done before. This man created an electric car that performed uh, better than any existing combustion engine vehicle to date. Not only was it just as powerful, just as fast, but it was also just as capable of efficiency and uh, long-term usage. Well, if you haven't guessed it by now, I don't think you've been paying much attention. The man I'm talking about is Elon Musk. Now, one could say many things about Elon. You could say he's a uh, very egotist. He's very focused on himself. He's very full of himself. Um, there's a lot of things you could say about Elon. But the one thing you can't say is that he isn't courageous. This man, if you look at his record, had said some crazy and pretty profound ideas. He believed that he could transform an industry that is a, a behemoth in the 20th century. And he decided to do it on his own, not under another umbrella of another big company, but just on his own. He started Tesla with all of the funds that he had from his sale of both PayPal and his previous uh, entrepreneurial endeavors. He sought out to change the status quo. He sought out to do something no one had done before, and he did it courageously. So I want you to t think about this uh, for a minute. When you think about yourself and you think about the Christian church, do you see yourself as someone who's courageous? Do you see yourself as someone who's willing to give uh, the, the price, uh, the high price of your life for your beliefs? And if not, what would you give your life for? It's easy to say it, right? It's easy to talk about the things that we would give our lives for. But the Bible actually has some pretty strong things to say about this. And it calls us to some ways of thinking and some ways of acting uh, that are pretty crazy. So to start the podcast, I'm going to start with a verse. Uh, and so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me. Uh, I'm going to be in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. Starting in 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So I want you to think about this for a second. If you have a strong belief, if you believe the Bible is true, if you believe the God of the Bible is real, if you believe the Jesus of the Bible is who he says that he was, and just for clarity, in case we're on the same page, the Jesus of the Bible said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to God the Father except through me. Now, there's some people who would put this man into the characteristics of a good teacher, 
who would say that Jesus came, he was a real person, he lived in real uh, time during the Roman Empire, but that he was just a good teacher. Unfortunately, his own language and the things he said about himself would contradict this statement. Because anyone that says, I am the only way to God, the only way, not a way, not one of the ways, but the only way to God, if that were to occur today, if uh, Bill Gates would have got up on stage and said, listen, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to God the Father except through me, we would all think he was a nutcase, right? Anybody who is currently a Christian, who would call themselves a Christian, uh, would agree that that man is crazy. So someone saying something that is crazy would make them crazy. It doesn't make them a good teacher. So let's just make sure we're on the same page. So Jesus of the Bible, the God of the Bible, who says... I am, uh, in the the translation, this word that you might have heard before, uh, legos, uh, legas, it's basically word. I am the word. And so there's a bunch of words in Greek and Hebrew, which is the original languages of the Bible that have since been translated into English. A lot of the words in Greek and Hebrew have uh, many kind of deeper meanings. Their, Their languages had far fewer words, and so they had far fewer words to use to describe whatever it was they were trying to say or communicate. So a lot of times the context matters. So in the case of all of these things uh, in scripture, Jesus talking about himself or the someone writing about Jesus talking about himself, they had to use the words in the appropriate context. So the legos, the word uh, of God, is is more than just the name word or more than just, it, ju- it meant so much more. Uh, it meant way, it meant uh, the, the, the thing that is of ultimate value. Um, and so in 1 John, he says, I am, I am the word. I am the word made flesh. I am the word that has come into humanity, into this time and place. And so I want us to remember that that is the God of which we are submitting to if, as Christians. So if you profess to be a Christian, that you are submitting to the God of the Bible and the Jesus who saves. And so I just want to remind you, Christian, that that is the God that you serve. That that God is a big God, not a small God, not a pathetic, wimpy God that can be easily uh, defeated, easily uh, ran away from, easily succumbed to. No, no, no. The Bible would say, uh, over and over again throughout the scriptures from the Old Testament to the New. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy. Now again, this goes back to some things that we might miss uh, in modern Christianity. I would say the nature of language is a huge piece. This word holy in the Bible, again, was originally written in different languages. We translate it into English holy. Now, a lot of our words in the American uh 21st century have been perverted to mean things that they never intended to mean and that anybody who coined the phrase or the word didn't mean to begin with. But aside from that, these words that we use, this word holy, if you had to think about what this, what does this word holy mean? And you could probably come up with a whole bunch of ideas in your head and in the current, you know, American culture. But to step back and, and tell you, this word holy is very similar to what uh, even he- Hebrews and Jews today 
would say, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard them use the you know phrase Yahweh or, or something along those lines, but basically it meant something more deep than, than we understand. It was essentially beyond, but holy is bigger, more beautiful, more profound, more majestic, more truthful, more, again, on and I could go more perfect than, than anything else that exists. And so by saying it three times, by, why did they repeat it? So again, going back to the original language, anything that you repeated multiple times, it was to put emphasis. It was basically like if I said, um, the, this man is good, good, good. You were basically saying he, he, there was no word for great or excellent or awesome. So basically they had to combine and emphasize the words to mean awesome or excellent, which is an English word that we have to describe good, good, good. So in this case, holy, 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 it's saying that God is bigger, better, more majestic, more beautiful, more profound, more powerful, more powerful, more, again, just emphasize whatever that is over and over and over. And that's the, a brief understanding of what it means to understand God. And so I want you to see and hear this, that the modern Christian church has missed it by a mile, as far away from the mark as could be. And in this case, a mile being completely missing the, the target entirely. And so we live in this world. We currently exist in this world that does not understand holy, holy, holy. And so we've taken God and we've taken the name of Jesus and we have put him in a box of our own making. We have put him in this cube that basically says God can only be this big. Now, if you look at something like September 11th or the extinction of the Jewish people by the Nazis or any other wicked, depraved thing that men has have done in time, I feel like you have to have an explanation for how this God of the Bible would allow, right? That's the word we use today, would allow those things to happen. And I would say that that phrasing, how would God of the Bible allow these things to happen, is fundamentally a flawed theology. What I mean by that is that the Bible from beginning to end is going to start with, I am. And it's going to end with, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, right? In Revelation, the book of Revelation is is all this talk about the future. But it's all framed in the understanding that God is holy, holy, holy. And that Jesus sit as part of the Godhead. So Jesus, the Son, uh, God, the Holy Spirit, and God, the Father, sit on the throne in power. And that in Revelation, the ultimate summation of this story is that God will rule and reign in perfection for eternity. And so I think we miss the big picture, the big story of God in the way we approach not only the Bible, but how, how the God of the Bible is a part of our story. And by that, I mean, we are a small, insignificant piece of God's story. That's the piece that we miss, that we think we are of substance compared to God. And so I think a, a good portion of this can be found in the book of Job. The book of Job, please go and read it when you have a chance, basically gives us a right depiction of God compared to us. It gives us a right-sized view of ourselves compared to God. And so the reason why that's relevant to our discussion, the reason why I brought up Elon Musk, the reason why I talk about us as Christians, how do we define this word courageous, is that the only way we can define ourselves as courageous is to take a look in the mirror of God's word. 
what does God say about men of God who were courageous? And so if you take that perspective, then it radically changes the way you and I view not only the Bible, but ourselves in relation to both the Bible and God. So I want us to take this mirror and I want us to sit in front of this mirror of are we courageous? So the first question comes is, should we be courageous? So I want to answer that. Should we be courageous? Is that some attribute that we should attain to? So over and over and over again in the stories of the Bible, the, the psalmist, the Proverbs, Psalm and Proverbs are basically like books of wisdom. They're often accounted to, to David, who the Bible would say is a man after God's own heart. So he seemed to know something about God and he wrote about it quite a bit in the Psalm and Proverbs. So over and over and over again in the Psalms and Proverbs, there's these passages, poems, as, as if you were in, in Psalms and Proverbs, uh, that talk about who God is. And it says basically that God is the one who says, I am and therefore you are. So i.e. if I am what is the best thing that ever existed and will ever exist, then because of my greatness and majesty and beauty and wisdom and understanding and justice, that is why you live and breathe and have your being. And so in, that, in the scope, in the light of that mirror, that's what we have to ask ourselves, are we courageous? And then the Bible gives us these ways of checking, do we meet the criteria of courage? And so let's go back to the story of David. So if you've never heard this story before, which I, I suppose most of you have, if you're listening to this podcast about Christians, uh, the story of David is that David started out as a young man. He saw what was happening to his group of people. So he was uh, a part of the Israelites, descendants, right? So he was, he, the Israelites at the time were fighting the Philistines. The Philistines were stronger warriors, uh, according to kind of the time and place that they, David found himself. And they said, here's what we're going to do. We think we can defeat you, but we're willing to take, like, we think we're so much stronger and so much more capable and powerful than you pathetic Israelites. We'll be willing to send out our strongest guy against your strongest guy. That's how much better we think we are than you guys. So David, after hearing this and seeing the response of, of his king, uh, of his people, Israel, to basically be cowards and not wanting to send anyone out and basically fearing the, the destruction of the, 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 their kingdom, they basically were cowering in fear and were afraid. So they let fear rule their decision making. So instead of using courage and knowing that God had said, you are my people and I am for you and I will go before you and I will protect you. They instead submitted to fear and they cowered and they were cowards. And so David's going, wait a second. I believe that God of our people is who he says he is. I believe in the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. I believe that he is who he says he is. And I am willing, me, a shepherd, even though I know people don't think much of me, I'm willing to trust God that no matter what happens, I will trust God and he will be my courage. And so David goes out and the story goes, he takes uh, three stones. He takes them out before this Philistine who was supposedly a giant, meaning let's just say he was, you know, eight, eight foot tall, right? So he, J Joseph's young man, this eight foot tall giant warrior who's, who's known for killing tons of, tons of people before this. Like he's not a uh, new to this warrior game. David is a shepherd 
Uh, David's resume is I've protected the sheep from getting eaten by wolves. So he's he's got it's not like he's got no game, but but comparatively it's not it's not well matched. So he takes out three stones, not a sword, not a shield, not not battle gear, and he basically says, Because my God is for me, today we will have victory. So the definition of courage based on the Bible is not the outcome of the endeavor. So I want you to hear that again. The definition of courage in the Bible has nothing to do with the outcome of the endeavor. It has to do with who and what you place your trust. If you place your trust in men, then you place your trust in the, in the as the Bible would say, in fools. That all men fall short. All men are not good enough. All men are fallible. All men are ultimately like dust to God. And so if you place your trust in men, you've placed your trust incorrectly and you are a fool. So that's the first thing. Second thing, the the Bible would say that David had courage, not because he knew the outcome, but because he knew who was in charge. He knew who was holy, 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 both more powerful, more majestic, more mighty, more uh, a warrior, more profound, more capable, all of the above. David knew who was holy, holy, holy. And that is the mark of courage. The mark of courage is do you know who is best? Do you know who is in control? Do you know who is the most powerful, the most capable, the most in demand and in control of everything? That is courage. So what I want you to do is I want to take what you believe to be courage, what you believe to be uh, Christianity, what you believe to be biblical uh, theology, and I want you to compare it to what the Bible actually says, to put yourself in the mirror before what the Bible says is courage. Are you courageous as the Bible calls each and every one of us to be? Now, I want to I st- st- uh, take this uh, kind of a different direction. I want to define what is not courageous so that way I can help you in understanding what is. There's another story in the Bible. It's a story of three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They are put before um, a Babylonian king. And at the time, he was the king of the region of Babylon, which was very big and very large and very uh, established. And so this Babylonian king decides he's so mighty and awesome and great he is going to build a giant golden statue. So he builds this 20-foot giant golden statue to himself. And he says, you know what? I think everybody at a certain time of day, they should all pray before me and praise me and sing me these songs. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they have a problem because they believe that there's only one God. There is only one holy, holy, holy And so because of that, they know that to be courageous is to stand for what is true. And God is truth. He is truth, 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 holy, holy, holy. He is the best, most beautiful, most powerful, most majestic. And so nothing else deserves praise and honor aside from him. And so they tell this king of Babylon, I'm sorry, king, though we know you have asked us to say, you are the best and that you are great and to sing these songs to you and to bow before you. Unfortunately, we believe in one greater. We believe in one who is beyond even you. And so they refuse. 
So the law of the land, just to clarify, was that they should bow and praise this king of Babylon. Well, they refuse. Because of their refusal, the king says, due to your treason of me as your king, I am going to throw you into a furnace. So they take, uh, think of like a pizza oven, you know, thousand degree oven, and they just throw, they just make it as hot as they can make it. And then they take these three men and they throw them into this furnace. Now, logically, and really, if you had done this uh, with every guy before this and everything before this, you throw this, these people or these things into this furnace, not only do they die, but they almost melt instantaneously. So they do this to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, again, going back to the definition of courage based on the Bible, it's not about the outcome of your endeavor. So Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego did not know the outcome of being thrown into the furnace. They could probably rightly assume that by giving, that by disobeying their king and basically being traitors, that they were about to die. But they, they believed in what the God of the Bible and what the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac had said, that he is holy, holy, holy. He is more powerful, more capable, more in control than anyone else. And so they believed that, but they knew that might cost them their lives on earth. They, might, they knew it might cost them everything that was comfortable and convenient for them in their lives, ultimately. But instead, they disobeyed and they were tossed into the furnace. Now, what was the outcome? So the outcome is that they didn't burn up in the furnace. They didn't melt. In fact, the king of Babylon sees them in the furnace, not burning up, not melting, and instead sees someone else with them. And in this process, they do not die. In fact, they're, the king says, hey, let them come out. And in this process, they're, more of the king's men died, and they come out unscathed, not even scorched, not even smelling like fire. And so the question again becomes, if you see this story and you see courage as the outcome, then you miss the God who is holy, holy, holy. The story of David, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is not the story of them. It's not their story. It's not the importance of their outcome. It's the importance of what it says about the God of the Bible who is holy, 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 majestic, powerful, in control, bigger, better, more beautiful. So what I want you to hear, Christian, is that you have defined courage incorrectly. So let's talk about some incorrect viewpoints of courage. When a tyrannical governor, mayor, local council, you name it, police officer, tells you to do something that is wrong and that is deceptive, then you disobey because you believe God is holy, holy, holy. That's it, period. You trust that God is who he says he is because you believe it. And so what I want you to see is that Christianity that says, I submit to man above God is not only false, but wrong and and hypocritical. You cannot say in one sentence that you need saving because the gospel is true and then take that same God and treat him as pathetic, small, and weak. He either is who he says he is. The Bible, and I believe that the Bible says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life in the only way to the Father. 
Or I believe he is a liar and he is a crazed maniac and I have to disregard everything he says. There is no middle nonsense ground of I take some of what he says and I disregard the other things he says. You either take him at his word that he is holy, 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 or he is a maniac and he is crazy and you should disregard him entirely. And so that's where we sit in modern Christianity today. That's where we sit in December of 2020, where we have men who call themselves men running around preaching an apostate gospel that you can submit to the authorities above God and somehow believe in the gospel. And that's where we find ourselves today. And so what do we do with that reality? How do we process this reality that we live in a world of cowards? That we live in a world of cowards for Christ. Well, there's only two things we can do. So I want you to sit and hear this. We can either accept that we are cowards and that we don't believe the gospel and that the God of the Bible is not holy, 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 or we repent of our cowardice. We repent of our deception. We repent that we believed man above God and we turn back to God back to the gospel, back to the understanding that as a sinner born into sin, separated from God for eternity, deserving total destruction and slaughter because of my sin, that I get what I don't deserve in the gospel, that Jesus took upon himself the wrath of God that took upon himself my punishment, my separation, so that he would give to me and impute to me the things that I do not deserve in mercy through Jesus, that I am now a son or daughter of God. Those are the only two options. There's no other options. It's either repentance or eternity apart from God. There's no options. And what I'm seeing is that those are our options as Christians today. So we have come about, so to take it full circle, we are currently in a crisis of faith. That's fundamentally what we are experiencing in America today. So I always finish each of these episodes, uh, and I'm going to continue this, is this, what is the state of America today? So as of December 14th, 2020, a few days ago, uh, the, the United States Supreme Court uh, rejected the Texas uh, legislate. I'm sorry, the Texas lawsuit Uh, joined by many other uh, states to say that the uh, election in the swing states of Pennsylvania, Michigan, um, uh, there's a number of these swing states, essentially that that we should, uh, they should be looked at because they are are violating the uh, clause in the constitution about a fair uh, election for the states in that they were all equally represented. And so this, the, Texas, uh, the Texas lawsuit was dismissed as having no standing. So that's where we're at today. How that impacts us is that we are potentially about to have a uh, leader of this republic that was uh, falsely elected, that was elected based on fraud, and that our republic is now, our votes and our, our beliefs about the democracy and the republic we live is now potentially going to be uh, bunk. So even in this reality, even if this is the case where this transpires that fraud overrides truth, that lies and evil override good and, and what is real, we are still called to be courageous. We are still called to understand and believe and act as if God is holy, holy, holy. So evil, suffering, 
oppression, uh, anything that may come going forward is not outside of God's hands. It's not outside of God's purview. It's not outside of God's understanding. It's not outside of God's wisdom or, or providence. God is holy, 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 meaning he is bigger than this election. He is bigger than these, these evil men and women. And so what I want you to hear is that courage says, I don't know the outcome, but courage says, I trust the God of the Bible when he says that he is holy, holy, holy. And so that's what I want you to take away. You have two options today, just like I do. You have the option to continue to live as if God is not who he says that he is, or you have the option to repent and to return to the God of the Bible when he says that he is fully in control, that he is fully God, that he is fully capable, that he will come and he will return and he will reign in power one day. And that day has not yet come, but that we look forward to it. And it says that we should yearn for the day when God returns in power and that we know the end result of this story is God's victory, that he will rule and reign and return. And there will be ultimate truth will be uh, again established and that ultimate reality will again be established and that evil will be destroyed and that good and God in the best thing ever, the holy, holy, holy will prevail. So I want you to reflect on that today. I want you to reflect on the reality that God is who he says he is. And he demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were far from him, that while we were cowards, he died for us. Not while we were figured it out, not while we were obeying, not while we did everything right, not where the world thought we were awesome, but when we were far, when we murdered and when we fell and when we when we cowered before tyrants, that's when he saved us. And so I want you to feel the weight of the gospel. And I want you to hear about the big, big, big God of the Bible. You have been listening to Exiles, Episode 2, Crisis of Faith, recorded December 14th, 2020.